Welcome to Eco-Activist Journeys. My name is Leah and I'm currently a fourth year student at the University of St Andrews and a passionate eco-activist. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Kashka and Kathleen about their tapered community, Plant. We discuss volunteering, the importance of community, lessons from gardening and journeys to living low carbon, among many other things. So let's dive right in. Welcome to Eco-Activist Journeys. Um, thank you for joining me today. Um, Kaska and Kasla- Kathleen, so would you like to introduce yourselves um, and tell us a little bit more about your journey into, into environmentalism and sustainability? Uh, I'm a volunteer with PLANT, so that is People Learning About Nature in Tayport. Uh, based around a community garden in Tayport, which I think we're going to be speaking about a little bit later. Um, I'm a volunteer, which means I dig dig the raised beds and help with the harvesting. And I also write blogs and uh, I also have just started to make podcasts for um, within the scope of the garden. And uh, in terms of my journey on sustainability, um, I grew up on a farm in the northeast of Scotland, so I saw firsthand what was happening. Uh, more and more pesticides and chemical spraying. Uh, it started, there were two crops per year on fields. And just, you know, with that, a complete lack of birds, wildflowers. And I think the other thing that, that kind of upset me about that was just the lack of thought forgive me family but you know from my father and brother really who were managing the land and um yeah that they just didn't seem to it sounds awful to care they did care and uh but not in that particular way so yeah I think when you see firsthand I mean this is particularly Scottish farming uh, and how it's developed um yeah, that was that definitely put me on my journey. Um, that and uh, reading uh, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring at a very impressionable age. Uh, yeah. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Um, I think uh, thank you, Kathleen. I think that's uh, that's really great, especially because I think with regards to farming and agriculture, there's still mm. so much that we actually have to learn and communicate, especially around. Um, yeah, what does sustainable farming mean and actually how all of this is interlinked to sustainability because in order to live sustainable, obviously we also need to change the way that we produce and food and how we take mm-hmm. care of the land. So yeah, we'll talk about that later as well because I'm sure that's what connects <laughs> with some of what you do mm. with plant as well. Um, but yes. yes, on to you, Kaska. So uh, yeah, my name is Kashka Hempel and I live in Tayport as well as, as Kathleen does. And I work here as well with Plant, um, which is uh, a part of Tayport Community Trust. as uh, a large organization in the village or in town, as some people <laughs> insist on calling it. Uh, and what my role is, is um, in the organization is I'm, I'm a digital storytelling coordinator, which is a fancy way of saying that I help our community members with telling their stories related to our work through online digital media, like blogging or podcasting. And Kathleen's already mentioned that she's doing that with us um, along, uh, alongside um, several others. 
and I also coordinate carbon conversation program for plant. Uh, in terms of sustainability and, and my journey towards sort of awareness and action on that, it's it's like for many other people, I'm sure it's not a very simple or easy journey, and it's it's been a long and arduous path. Um, of course, the childhood memories and connection with nature are very important in establishing that kind of love for nature. And, and um, like many, many people can tell stories how they've, uh, you know, developed those connections and that's what motivates them to, to take action later on. So yes, that's obviously was a big part of my childhood. My parents were both um, horticulturists and botanists and they loved taking us on big walks in Polish forests and the mountains and the seaside. So I, mm. I fell in love with um, world of plants, especially I'm a botanist by training. So that was <laughs> my first step. But um, um, then I moved to Australia and ended up doing environmental management degree at the Australian National University. And, um, you know, that came from, you know, wanting to take care of nature and that kind of stuff. But then it, that that's when you really start finding out realities of it. So that was 25 years ago. So it's quite, quite uh, distant past at the moment. But even then it was very obvious that, that humans were, um, um, not very pleasant um, uh, for the planet, and um, and at the time it was biodiversity, which was a big thing, uh, mm. so not climate change yet, uh, but it was really obvious that what we were doing at a systemic level on the global level wasn't going in the right direction, it was very destructive, and at the same time, um, it was, it became obvious to me that it was all about changing human behavior and society. And I found that as a scientist, that was just not something I could even imagine doing at that scale. So at that time, I really became really sort of, I felt powerless to be honest. And I turned away, this was, you know, basically saying, I can't solve this, this is not possible. And unfortunately, the university didn't really give us the tools to, to pick up our, you know, to actually do something about it socially in, in terms of uh, changing society. So, you know, it's, I've had a career of doing all sorts of other things, um, not really um, doing activist stuff or direct action on climate change or sustainability, uh, but it was always on in the back of my mind and, you know, it did play a role in deciding what I eat, how I live, um, you know, deciding not to have children, for example, because um, I thought, you know, this is not really a world that I want to be bringing kids into and also causing more problems as a first world country, um, you know, citizen. Um, and it's sort of more of an accident about eight years ago that I um, ended up wandering into uh, when I, after I moved to uh, UK, to Scotland, I ended up moving in, um, encountering these organizations and um, especially Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. Uh, I went to a gathering of, of, um, of the network and it brings together lots and lots of different groups and individuals that were, um, you know, taking action here in Scotland and very passionate about it. 
And that started my connection back into the community, into the type of people that actually are doing something at the grassroots level. And that really brought back some hope um, to me in terms of, you know, what can be done. And of course, in the last couple of years, so I got involved with plants, blah, 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 all sorts of things. Uh, in the last couple of years, um, you know, I got spurred on even more as everybody probably um, through the 1.5 degree IPCC report, which was basically saying 10 years to take action, transform, transform our society. Um, and so that's, that sort of brought me to where we are now. And also, you know, at the same time, all the um, headlines in the world started picking up climate change. And yes, part of it was due to quite high profile activists like uh, Greta Thunberg and, and others um, and yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, um, it's become much more of a, uh, you know, it's, the door is open a crack. It's not, I'm not pushing at the locked door anymore. I can imagine that we can all push, push it open together. So um, it it's, brings me hope and perhaps we're not gonna save everything, but at least we're gonna have fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, this is a, quite a long and um, uh, convoluted <laughs> answer yeah. to this, but um, mm. yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot because a lot of people always ask, oh, what was your breakthrough moment? And it's like, no, there isn't one, mm. <laughs> there's multiple. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's a beautiful story because I think that's, for many of us, there's, it's rarely just one point. It's a, just a collection of moments and of yep. realization. And then also of journeys in terms of like discovering what we can do and how we can use our voice. And, and I think, yeah, like you said, it's so important that we actually give people tools to how they can make a difference so that we're not left here feeling hopeless and tiny um, in terms of that we can't do everything, anything or that we feel like that doesn't have an impact um, because it does um, in some way or another. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I'd love to obviously hear more about, maybe you can explain to us what, what is plant specifically because I know both of you refer to it um, but yes, just give us a little bit of an outline what it is um, and maybe a little bit of its history. I've been with plants mm. um, since, well, just after it started. So uh, people learning about nature in Tayport, as Kathleen said, mm -hmm. uh, that's the group's name and we're part of Tayport Community Trust. Uh, and uh, it's, we've been in place as a community group since to 2011, something like that. So people sort of started thinking that they might want to put together a community garden or something, like some space for growing things and bringing people together. And uh, that's really become our primary project. So we managed to actually fundraise money from, from Climate um, Challenge Fund initially to um, put the gar garden on the ground. It was really hard to find a piece of land. You'd think that in a rural, rural mm -hmm. setting like Tayport, which has got lots of green spaces actually, it would be really easy to find some, you know, a, quite a small space mm -hmm. to grow together and get together. It was very hard, but we were lucky that um, uh, five allotments officers sort of helped us source the place and, and it made it easier to talk to the council about how to do it. So we've, we've been doing the uh, community garden where we grow fruit and veg um, and we grow them organically. We also sell them and we teach people about how 
uh, how to grow um, in a planet-friendly way. And our community gardener, Peter Christopher, uh, is a key player in that. And we, we've been doing online gardening workshops um, under, um, under, normally we just do them face-to-face, -face, obviously, but under lockdown, we started doing them online and they've been really really popular because everybody started growing their food by themselves mm. it's it's insane even if they were just putting one pumpkin in the veggie patch it's been amazing um so we partnered up to do that with edible campus actually with transition edible campus with nine wells community garden and strathkinness community garden and we we continue to do these online workshops and they continue to be uh quite popular and you can see them all on, on our website. Um, we also have other projects. So we've actually, the first real project that we, that people started before I joined in, because I joined in as a, as a volunteer um, to, to actually get the project off the ground. Um, the, the first project was a fruit tree walk, which is effectively a community orchard and which got um, um, mostly uh, Scottish uh, apple varieties in it. You'd think you, people don't know how many Scottish apple varieties there are. It's amazing. So it's actually so showcasing biodiversity of crops that we've got here, the heritage in this country that is just not really appreciated very widely. Um, and we've got tapered apple juice, which is from, I think it, we started seriously to do this from 2016. And it's basically harvesting apples from across all the orchards in, in tapered. There's lots of people, big apple trees in their backyard, and they never can eat through all the fruit. So we've got one of the, our volunteers, it's basically just one man show. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, well, he is, he is mm. a, he's mm. a juicing mm -hmm. machine, uh, <laughs> juice master. Uh, he's um, um, basically picks the apples from, the, uh, from people's gardens and juices them and pasteurizes the juice. And it's actually available right now for sale. So if you come past the Larrick Center uh, Cafe, which is a new Larrick community center in Taple, they've got the, the three, three liter pouches of juice for sale and it's amazing this year it's like three four tons of apples i think is processed by now it's mm -hmm. it's just stunning um mm -hmm. and uh, well we've been doing the community blogging and um for a while so one of the first things i set up was the blog because obviously telling our stories is so important and sharing the stuff uh, what we're doing and that motivates others as well um to do stuff um, hopefully, you know, <laughs> in the community, uh, as well as beyond. So now we started doing podcasting, because that's an in thing, obviously, <laughs> as you know, uh, and Kathleen's joined the podcasting team. So that's, that's quite exciting. Mm -hmm. And you can um, uh, find our Plant Voices um, Tape Community Garden podcast on Anchor and other sort of uh, podcasting apps. And we also have put together uh, taking care of our Tapeport home audio trail uh, in Tapeport, so just showcasing all the different projects. So if you want to find out more, just go to Easy Travel uh, online um, and look for the take, taking care of our, our Tapeport home trail, and you'll find out you know more about more than you want to know about each one mm. of these projects. It's mm. it's fantastic tool. Um, 
and what else? Oh, we just about to sort of got launch into planet friendly cooking as well, um, mm. which is sort of trying to use the local produce in in and cook and eat more sustainably. Encourage people to do that and really I mean it's I've been talking a lot about the environmental aspects of it but really mm -hmm. one of the key reasons that people wanted to do all these things is to especially creating the community garden is to create a space for people to come together and to enjoy outside and working alongside each other and sharing ideas and just hanging out you know mental health is massive mm -hmm. uh, we also have um different um you know we have people from all ages from schools to retirees to sort of people who have uh, small children um and we have people with additional support needs we've, we've run grow and learn award for them and they continue working in our garden and we've got an alzheimer's group that comes in and so it's 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 multifaceted project really and then one more thing, so we, we're doing too much, aren't we? So <laughs> one more thing, one more thing that's on our agenda for next year, uh, well, starting now, really, we're joining in with Climate Action 5 project, which is funded by the National Lottery uh, Community Fund for Climate Action. And it's a very exciting project because it's partnering up with Greener Kakodi and it's going to be looking across the whole five uh, um, for um, at a pilot to to see how we can boost climate action, grass, grassroots climate action, or individual climate action at a regional level, and it's a very unique sort of uh, initiative because normally um, we've had um, good luck because we've got climate um, challenge fund money from the Scottish government, but that's just focusing on the single individual communities. But I think it's like producing this networked approach mm. is going to be the next step to amplify. Um, mm -hmm. you know the effect across the whole mm -hmm. area so mm -hmm. very exciting times mm -hmm. yeah uh, Kathleen, do you, would you like to add anything oh, well I, I don't know <laughs> if, I, if there is anything that then to be added I think uh, yeah just as a you know as, as a volunteer and a, a resident in Tayport I just love the variety of activities there's always something on the Facebook page for a whole range of people to be, I'm saying Facebook, but otherwise as well, communicating to be involved in. And I mean, some of the things that I've really enjoyed it has been the wildlife um, activities that you've organised. Because last year we had bee walks where uh, we were uh, studying uh, and trying to count all the bees that were in a particular walk I found that really fascinating uh, I loved we had a bat evening where we had a bat expert come and uh, show up and tell us all about the bats that were literally flying about the garden uh, soprano pipistrels if I remember correctly um, involved with the RSPB um, because we've got I mean you know the garden is just full of wildlife so it was great to make use of that and another event that I really always enjoy is the seed swap so at the, at the start of the growing season <clears throat> Everybody brings in, you know how it is, you buy a packet of seeds, but actually you only sow a few of them. Um, so it's good to um, share um, uh, the seed swap. And I, I, like the, I, I like the little arty projects as well, like 
um, you know, the winter wreath making, making a natural wreath uh, for Christmas for your door, um, that kind of thing, which will be online um, this time. So, yeah, as a volunteer, I just love the variety of things I can dip into and learn and be part of. So, yeah, yeah lots going so on. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's also really great to hear some of the things that you um, particularly enjoy and that you're involved in. Mm. And oh, there's so many fascinating things about mm. nature. Um, I mean, mm. we could have a whole conversation about bees. My family um, is mm. into beekeeping. So I just, oh, uh-huh. bees are so fascinating. Um, but yeah, just, oh, there's just, just so much, I think, that we can learn from our gardens and from nature if we also let it a little bit more wild than just, I don't know, clean cut grass um, lawn. Oh. Um, and I think that's something that still sometimes frustrates me. I see all these gardens and sure, from a mm-hmm. perspective, they might look, um, I don't know how people imagine maybe an English garden or, or whatever, but then there's also so much biodiversity and wildlife missing. And I think a garden becomes so much more beautiful if you start seeing loads of little insects and, um, I don't know, animals and wildlife and birds in it. Like we let our garden uh, in Germany when I was there over the summer grow so wild. And then all of the the families passing with like parents and children, they'd always like stop with their children and be like showing them like this is this plant or like when they saw like a little insect and or different butterflies or caterpillars or things like that. And it just shows that actually it's not in everyone's garden like that. And But it could be. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. so- so yeah, I think that's very exciting. You also uh, mentioned um, carbon conversations as something, and I think I'd love to like ask you a little bit more what that is about. Um, and yeah, just diving into that topic of um, how can we reduce, um, yeah, um, carbon in our lifestyles, or how can we address lifestyle changes? Because I think, um, Kashka, you mentioned that. Um, sometimes it feels like very overwhelming, I think, in terms of the behavioral change that we're looking at that needs to happen um, with regards to climate change. And yeah, how do, you, how do you address that within Carbon Conversations? Well, maybe again, Kashka, do you want to give the context for that? Yeah, yeah. and then I'll ask uh, Kathleen to follow up because she actually completed the Carbon Conversation mm, um, I did. group, which mm-hmm. is... Um, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, probably more of a first-hand experience as a participant. Uh, well, I'm holding up this amazing book, <laughs> which is uh, called In Time for Tomorrow, which is the Carbon Conversation Handbook. You can't see it, but it's, a, it's, it's quite thick. So this is a book that supports this uh, whole process of um, working through your personal carbon footprint in different areas from Um, travel to diet to consumption so anything you buy and spend money uh, on Um, I forgot something I'm sure oh home energy so energy Mm -hmm. that you use to heat and light your home obviously Um, so this this carbon conversation program um, was developed I can't claim this is something I put together it's way too uh, advanced and sophisticated but it's put together by uh, Rosemary Randall and Andy Brown and um, the two of them combined sort of a uh, factual approach to you know actually estimating a carbon footprint all the numbers and, and, and actions you can take practical actions you can take with 
also acknowledging it is a difficult process. So they also address things like psychological barriers and societal mm -hmm. barriers um, to, to making the changes. And it's, it's really a very powerful approach to, um, to thinking about it um, when you sort of start thinking seriously what you can do about it. So the whole um, program takes a format of uh, five uh, two-hour meetings uh, in a group of eight people and you stay in the same group um, and the idea behind that again is sort of make connections in your own community and find support from each other and also acknowledge that there's a diversity of where people are at in the um, you know carbon footprint reduction or the environmental um, action um, all sorts of things are happening and you know it's this sort of seeing others do it supporting each other through the process is really a powerful um, way of, of, of doing this. But one thing I wanted to say is like, okay, personal action is very powerful and also gives you a platform to speak from and, and encourage others to do the same. So, you know, if you making a point, we all have to change. It's much more powerful if you've done something yourself. Mm. Um, but really a lot of the, um, change will have to come from powerful players um, to change the systems that we're embedded in, um, like transport system and, and, and um, all sorts of other things. Um, so it has to come from industry, it has to come from governments. Um, and that's one, one important point I wanted to make. We can't take it, uh, you know, as an individual responsibility, but, you know, mm -hmm. having community connection makes it much more obvious that, that it is a community and multi-level action we need but Kathleen did you want to yeah yeah I mean that? just just to add one or two things I mean why did I join uh, the carbon conversation well I think um, it, really for me a lot of it was just about to be better informed and uh, to raise my level of awareness in a lot of these uh, a lot of the issues um, I was also very frustrated at my work organisation. Um, they just seem to be very, very lackadaisical about any thought about the climate emergency. Um, and um, it sounds, I mean, it's a, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but it just seemed to come along at the right time um, for me. Um, I have to say that the other thing about it as well is that, of course, there was a there's a very serious side to it. But uh, thanks to Kashka and Jesse, we we had fun. We had fun discussing and talking. You know, I think often with the climate emergency, everything gets so heavy, uh, and you forget actually that we had we had quite a lot of fun in these sessions. And we did, um, as Kashka said, we had a lot of cake as well, which was uh, which was important. Um, and uh, it really it, it pushed me not when I say push I, I I think the thing about the carbon conversation it's not about right you have to do this and you have to change and da 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 it's a very gentle approach by saying well let's so why don't you think about this this week you know this little change that you can make uh, and uh, why not try it and see how you how you get on with it um the big uh, but it can also lead well uh, for example the, the one let's just take the one for me uh, that moved me on was the transport uh, one 
So I was a car user all my, all my life. And through carbon conversations, it got me thinking to use the the bus uh, for shorter journeys, certainly um, in Tayport. So I started, I mean, it seems ridiculous really to be saying these kind of things, you know, but, you know, before, yeah, you know, I, there was a bus literally outside my door and I wasn't using it. So that kind of prompted me to use the bus. And then, uh, then I took a gigantic step by um, signing up to the no flying for a year um, and that was that was really big and um, I think the other thing just the last thing maybe to say about it is that um, you know making these changes and, and again it's a topic of I think of carbon conversation later on this year within a family context and you know although I was making the personal decision not to fly I'm within a family group so what's the implications for the other members of my family and uh, you know um, so again it was about having a supportive group there to and, and to talk these kind of things um, through uh, and for me as a blogger um, to write about it as well um, so yeah I, the program as Kashka said I think is it's been really well thought out and um, yeah yeah excellent yeah excellent program definitely yeah thank you thank for sharing you. that um, because there's so much I think that we can dive into especially with regards to the different things that individually we can do because um, they're different obviously so many different aspects that refer to sustainability in our lives and I also loved hearing about uh, Kathy and your story with regards to um, signing up to the no flying commitment mm. um, and I think it's so great to see people to see, see people do that uh, and maybe to say well okay, I'm not going to say that perhaps I'm never, ever going to fly again, but it's a conscious mm. step to saying, well, I recognize that this is um, unsustainable um, choice and I want to challenge myself to try and try and do it differently. And I mean, I realize this as well. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that I do and I think I'm very conscious when I think about my lifestyle and what I do, but flying was also something for me that I was like, well, how can I just get rid of it or how can I reduce it and that's and it's difficult because I study in Scotland but I'm not from Scotland my family's in Germany I grew up in South Africa so it's difficult if you have several places that you call home mm. um, and um, and then I last last year discovered that sort of train journey um, and I and decided to train to Germany um, from Scotland through uh, oh. London and Paris and then um, back to um my family close to Munich and yeah it took me a while but it's just led me on such an adventurous journey with mm -hmm. regards to mm -hmm. how to travel differently uh, and I think it can actually be really exciting um, to try out something else and to take the train or to do it differently than you would have and you might learn something about how you actually like to travel or about yourself through that so yeah thank you so much for for sharing that um, and that very nicely leads me into um, what's, what do you find personally one of the most fulfilling things uh, that you've realized through being part of this um, plant community? 
um I don't know maybe um Kathleen do you want to yeah. start yeah okay well I, th I think we've we've kind of we've touched this word has been mentioned a couple of times already and it's it, this sense of powerlessness sometimes with with it all uh and that goes with you know feeling overwhelmed where do I start um that kind of thing so for me um it, absolutely as Kashka said it starts with me uh, making individual choices but that and then that kind of spreads out to being part of a community that um hopefully sustains my uh, and helps me in my choices um and then from there um again as kashka said you're hoping to uh, for uh, more connections and bit more uh, collaboration and I, I think just being part of plant for me is about hope you know um i, I i'm part of something that is hopeful um uh, and but yeah because i just think sometimes it's so easy to, to for me anyway to lapse into despair and despair then then becomes apathy and i think oh well you know um so yeah uh yeah it's being part of yeah plant and yeah hopefully a little bit through my blogging i suppose as well it's about making a contribution uh to maybe changing a little bit hearts and minds as well to grow the plant community that's i suppose my contribution giving back to it um and, or at least just to open up the debate and discussion i suppose um yeah that's about it I think yeah I think there's actually something so empowering about doing something yourself and knowing oh I'm doing doing something good um, or mm -hmm. I'm speaking to people about it because actually I think that form of sharing something of ourselves with others and contributing and um, in some way to community is um just very enriching so I can definitely mm -hmm. recommend to anyone listening who's not involved in some sort of community project or volunteering yep. to do it because it's actually also good it's not just good for the environment or for others it's good for your own heart and your own well-being so absolutely yes yeah I, I just wanted to add to that I mean that's naturally what I wanted to talk about because um yeah this sort of well-being and connection with the community is one of the things that really um, happened for me since I started working locally because I used to commute to Edinburgh. First I was, at, I was working in Dundee from Tateport and then Edinburgh working full time, very busy, hardly any time to really connect with anybody um, apart from the people we already knew through our networks. So for the last eight years, I think, I think it's been eight years since I got involved in plant. Um, we've I've just it's it's amazing how how many friends and, and connections I've made with people here so you know I walk especially it was really obvious under lockdown but <laughs> normally it happens as well but you know you go for a walk and you end up talking to five different people on the street in a community that I've previously knew no, nobody at and obviously everybody's very friendly and smiles at you but um since I started making connections here, it's, it's just amazing. It's just such a boost to even 
you know, you feel a bit lonely mm-hmm. sitting in front of the computer all day and you go for a, a walk and a break and you just get a boost with, from these uh, sort of random mm-hmm. connections. So that, that's, that, that's one of the main things, but also, you know, um, being able to support volunteers and, and, and um, other members of plants to um, give them more confidence and, and skills. And, you know, I, I think Kathleen probably benefited from that, but she's not the only <laughs> one in terms of, you know, blogging and, and actually mm-hmm. even being more confident about talking about climate change and climate actions and what to do. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that's really so encouraging and so nourishing for me as a, as a person, mm-hmm. seeing people develop and, and, and having that network develop as well around climate action mm-hmm. or community action and just making the place be better because it's not just about um environment it's about people as well yes definitely and i think um i think we've probably already answered the next question but just quickly so what would you say how important would you put community as um for climate activism um how do you think it how important is it that people actually see community when they dive into environmental topics or activism in general mm. Well, I mean, just very briefly, for me, I mean, community has to be at the heart of um, any kind of grassroots uh, activism on, I would say, just about anything, um, to be honest. Um, And uh, yeah, about, as Kashka said, it's about making the connections, um, about collaborations, and and just about uh, linking up um, with um, other little projects it's kind of almost like the snowball effect you know that you so little project we start as a little snowball if I can if I can use that analogy maybe with December coming up I can we start off with a little snowball that is plant in Tayport and we kind of roll it along a little bit so we're picking up um, as Kashka said some projects now with Kirkcaldy and um, the the blog that I have just recently written about is about uh, three other um, pr- uh, businesses slash producers uh, with uh, uh, with a focus on local produce and artisan products. So the snowball gets bigger and bigger, and hopefully, you know, you get to a critical mass, and uh, where um, we've just got about just about everybody in the snowball. Um, all together uh, and where that snowball lands is another matter but um yeah that's how i would see community bizarrely as a, a, maybe not a, the best metaphor but as a snowball <laughs> as long as it doesn't melt uh, in spring <laughs> climate change yeah with climate change or oh, we God. don't have snow because of climate change yes oh dear yeah i I totally echo what you're saying um one thing i would add is also the um, being involved in this project and actually yes growing from the tiny little seed of an Mm. idea of just having a community garden um it's really bringing even even making that happen um it requires lots of different skills and different types of people so actually you know having a community behind you or connecting to the community can bring these skills together all the different talents together um, to, to you know make a much more powerful um, 
project or whatever mm -hmm. you want to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, diversity. Yeah, mm yeah, -hmm. yeah. I think. Um, I mean, speaking personally, I think sometimes it can feel like if you look at uh, these challenges, it can feel very big um, and it can feel very big on just one person. And I think that's where it becomes important to see community and to connect with other like minded people um, and see what they're doing, because it's also inspiring um, in that way to find out more about others um, and, and their journeys and their difficulties and struggles, I guess, as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just wanted to add, because you're saying like minded people, um, I think it's also very important to um, learn to listen to others and discover the differences as well and appreciate the differences mm -hmm. so listening not just looking for like-minded people because yes that that can be quite a boost to you know you, you you find people who think like you but to to have any effective um action in a complex community especially that you sort of stuck living in like Tapor, there's lots of different people that maybe not mm -hmm. exactly the same as you but learning how to bring people along with you and connect with people that you don't necessarily have everything in common with is mm -hmm. equally important when you're thinking about geographical community and you know being in one place that might be quite diverse as well so that's one important thing yeah Yes, definitely. I think that's part of the journey and that learning process, I think, as you go into environmentalism, because there's so many aspects that drive sustainability and that play into climate change and into lifestyle choices. Evidently, people are going to think a bit differently about it. They're going to think differently about the solutions to it, what they think they should or can do in their own personal lives. So, yeah, I think having an open heart to that it doesn't mean the same for everyone. Uh, climate activism or even doing something about climate change mm -hmm. uh, does not mean the same for everyone. So I think, um, yeah, that's a, always a, an important recognition. Um, but yeah, I think I also wanted to ask you just to think creatively, like when you obviously talked a lot about um, plant and the different projects that you have um, but how do you see I think it's so exciting to look at projects like community gardens where people can come together and like you say maybe have juice that is made apple juice that is made locally or just be able to get fruit from someone else's gardens or get seed do seed sharing or things like that but how do you how would you like to imagine the future of community gardens like the one mm -hmm. in Tapeport? Well, I, I, I mean, I just think they are such powerful, powerful resources that I would like to see, for example, you, both of you probably know there's a new housing estate going up at Garbridge. And but I think before any uh, housing or building company gets to put up a new housing development, as well as a lot of other things like solar panels, etc., there should be in the plan a shared 
green space right at the heart of that development. I notice with a lot of new developments, um, again, we have one not so far from us in Wormut. Um, gardens are very small, unlike Tayport, where most of the houses are, I'm, I'm saying over maybe 100, 200 years, where they've got very big gardens. The new housing estates have uh, very small gardens. Mainly they're paved for cars. I think, my, oh, sorry, my big thing would be to encourage planners, the Scottish government, to have a good sized shared green space in any new development. And that's not, not just housing estates. Again, I'm thinking about Garbridge because I pass it quite a lot. There's, been, there's a big new biodiversity, not, not bi biofuel, whatever it is they're building there. And the university actually have got some there. But again, any business, uh, where people are coming together, there should be a options for a community garden um, there. Um, I mean, in, a, in an ideal world, again, I'm a big fan of allotments that, you know, there should always, again, where you've got developments of houses, if there's not space to have substantial gardens with the houses, there should be provision nearby for allotments. I love allotments. I think they're great things. Um, and uh, so that's what I, if I was Queen of Scotland, <laughs> not that I want to be Queen of Scotland, but it, you know, if, if I had the power, that is the one thing that I would like to see happening with community gardens because I've seen the power of it in my own, I literally, if I look out my window, I can see the community garden and I've seen the power of it, the transformational power, sounding a bit dramatic now, but um, it, it's, you know, it's it's true it, it, and, and I am really passionate about it. Um, so, yeah, let's have community gardens in every shared space. <laughs> there we go. Yes, we definitely need a lot more of them. I actually did a um, radio show with a friend um, last week around um, urban planning and sustainability. Oh, there's a lot that definitely needs to happen with regards to how yeah. we build and cities and in general. So mm -hmm. yeah, also very exciting topic. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, if you want to dive into that, um, they can as well <laughs> um, because that is like that's such a big topic as well, and I think that's something mm -hmm. that will be very relevant to to the future. I wanted to ask both of you um, what role nature has played um, during the lockdown and during to this difficult time of the COVID-19 pandemic, and maybe also something that you learned from this time. I, I suppose for me, nature has always been really important. So I can't say it honestly that it's more important now uh, although I understand it has been for lots of people. Uh, for me, you know, I daily, I, I cannot live without a daily walk somewhere in nature. And I mean, I'll, as you know, here in Tayport, I'm lucky enough to have all sorts of uh, different environments to do that in. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's really heartening, though, to see that lots of other people are now appreciating, which I knew, luckily for me, from about the age of, I don't know, six, that, you know, this is great uh, to be in amongst trees, to be walking on a beach, etc. Um, 
so the the thing that did though I suppose I guess I, I was extra appreciative of the community garden during particularly the first lockdown because I, I kind of like a lot of people I didn't know how to deal with a lockdown I kind of well again it's hard to look back now in that period and think of this sort of panic the fear the everything um but fortunately the Tayport garden with very very strict you know COVID-19 rules for volunteers uh kept going and I think that is the beautiful thing again about nature that most of the time it does keep going and so the decision a good one as far as I'm concerned on on plant was to keep the garden going and of course in March that's the time when you're going to be planting seeds etc so for me I know that the days that I worked in the, the community garden I slept better uh, it gave me a sense of purpose a sense of structure um, I, I was also doing a bit of blogging as well so it gave me um, a lot of focus um, during that time and in fact I mean it continues to sustain me in you know different ways through um, you know through these yes very very difficult uh, difficult times um, and what have I learned well I, I don't know if I've learned I, for me I suppose Honestly, it's the same old struggles for me. It's about learning to be patient, which I think as a gardener, you are generally, you know, you plant things, you keep your fingers crossed a little bit about how they're going to how they're going to go um, about um, hopefully it's about, you know, living more in the moment. And for me, just practicing gratitude um, as well. So same old struggles during um you know these difficult times and just learning i think to be a little bit more settled with myself mm. yeah mm. yeah for me it's um well it's hard to say because uh, obviously i was because i'm um, we're based most I'm, I'm based mostly online in my job unfortunately i, I wasn't furloughed so I had to work full time throughout the whole thing <laughs> and reinvent the projects and do all the online stuff and, and try to get everybody online um, in the community, including the committee, who's never, you know, half of them are um, technophobes and they would normally never use any technology to you know techn me technology no not possible we need to work out to the uh, way of meeting face to face and now they're like completely casual yeah zoom this zoom that zoom the other it's amazing anyway but uh, it's obviously being in Tapor, it's it's an amazing place to be under lockdown because we've got the river the tay we've got the tensmere forest and just the views are just stunning. So um, actually my balcony is facing, I've got two balconies, which is quite unusual for Scotland, but my one of them is facing the, the forest and the sun rises. So what we used to, my, my husband worked, we're still working from home. So obviously beautiful weather, especially in May when the lockdown first started. So we used to spend a, long, a lot of time on the balcony um, just watching birds have mating rituals and <laughs> watching people um, cycling into Tensmuir and watching, you know, um, 
butterflies and bees passing and watching the, the beautiful um, view in front of us. So um, it, it really, it was giving us a bit of a sanity break and break away from screens because we're both sitting in front of computers all the time. But um, what I, I found that a lot of people did find uh, more meaning and much more notice nature much more because I'm, I'm like Kathleen, I'm sort of, you know, nature, of course, it's mm. there all the time. Why wouldn't you see it? Uh, but, but I found that a lot of people were commenting um, and, and noticing um, things more and appreciating what's around them in the actual proximity. So around Tayport. Uh, a lot of people commented about how, you know, they started really exploring um, everything nearby and noticing all these mm -hmm. exotic birds and, and singing in the trees and amazing flowers. And um, that's what inspired me to do. I've, I've done a couple of podcasts about getting closer to nature um, for Plant Voices. So if you look up for Plant Voices on Anchor, uh, there's a couple of interviews and um, that I've done. One is with... Uh, Backyard BioBlitz, which is actually a St. Andrews initiative, so it's norm it's linked to the BioBlitz normally ha that normally happens in the spring. Um, and I talked to um, one of the people who transformed it to run online and do it virtually. And so that that was really fascinating project and fascinating sort of thing to talk about. And I've also chatted to a lot of people walking into Tensmuir to 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 see what how how their relationship with nature changed under COVID. So that's a really nice one. And another one, I talked to uh, John Wills, who helps us with podcast mm -hmm. editing, and this, he's obsessed with sound and recording sounds, and including sounds of nature. And he talked about the whole, you know, lifelong obsession to, of listening to nature and how, you know, and his lockdown project that he developed under lockdown. It's, it's an, again, amazing story and actually mm -hmm. includes things like how we can use recordings of sound to uh, look and assess biodiversity and health of ecosystems as well as, you know, connecting up under lockdown and how people did connect um, by listening more or paying attention more to to what's around them so two, two just two amazing people and two amazing stories there mm -hmm. yes thank you I think there is definitely oh nature has a lot of healing properties I think yeah thank you for for sharing some of your stories and perspectives around that um, we touched on a lot of um, topics mm. today and I was just wondering if um, you just both of you would like to sum up um, one action point that stuck out or was something that stuck out for our conversation today uh, that you would encourage people to do um, or yeah to get involved in um, and yeah just share that with the listeners yeah well gosh it's a tricky one because as you say we've covered so so much ground I think the maybe this is going to be a little bit contradictory but the first thing is I suppose uh, that you know not to think that you know the climate emergency is somebody else's problem that you know it, it's not it's all of our problem and um, really just to be mindful, as mindful as you can about your choices and um, 
to definitely try and find your people, find, join some kind of group. Um, I think maybe as well at the moment, there's a plethora of different organisations and groups that you can be part of. But, you know, if you're passionate about trees, then, you know, join some uh, uh, organisation. And um, I guess I have to say this, volunteer, if you've got the time, I know people don't always have the time, um, but yeah, even even a tiny amount of volunteering for some cause um, is really, I think, um, empowering. So yeah, volunteer if you can. <laughs> um, what I would like to say is, Really, what I found the most powerful thing in my work is is talking to others and listening to others, um, talking about climate change. So what we're doing right now um, is is a really powerful thing to do. And it's one of the things that social scientists have been pushing for the last five years. Most powerful thing you can do is to start talking to others about climate change um, and the talking doesn't mean uh, ranting or lecturing. Mm. It means more listening to of making a space um, for people to tell you what, what they feel as well. So um, start doing that and it's going to become much more normal. And you're going to find out that most people really do really care deeply about climate change and they really want action on climate change and they're prepared to actually go quite far to to achieve the goals that we've got and that's actually evidenced in the most um, recent study that's just been released by uh, climate outreach um, and it's called britain talks climate and it shows that in the uk it's amazing it's, uh, that the majority of people um, are behind climate action mm -hmm. and they believe climate is anthrop you know climate um, change and climate emergency is due to human action and it's so very different um, to the polarization you see in other countries anglo-saxon countries like america and australia where you've got um depending on your party beliefs or whether you're right wing or left wing you, you have a different stance on it it's not the case in the uk so when you mm -hmm. don't don't worry about you know encountering denialists and people being negative it actually you'll probably find it's more likely than not that people are pretty much on the same page yeah i think that's that's definitely a positive um message and i think we should always focus less on actually this because you know total i do believe probably the amount of people in denial is probably smaller than actually the people who are actually passionate about it and we saw this through the climate strike movements even um, last year how many people came out onto the streets and were doing all of these things and came to um, yeah climate strikes align the sand you suddenly realize oh wow there's so many people who care and even then even then there are even more people who maybe in that instant couldn't come because of other commitments mm -hmm. and because of their lives so there are even a lot more people out there and I think um, yeah that's that's um, it's hopeful to know that there are actually a lot of people who care at least. And then it's about finding ways. How can we inspire people um, around the world to maybe take action or to get involved somewhere? Because I think um, we're still missing a little bit of a caring and like action gap, I think in terms of people actually going forward and running with it. Um, but 
maybe something like what Kathleen said, volunteering helps. And I think if you can make time for volunteering or doing something mm -hmm. um, other than, yeah, I don't know, your job or what you have to study or in general, um, because ultimately it's, it's just fulfilling as well. Um, and I mean, I do a lot of things and sometimes I wonder, well, how do I do all of this? And then also study and am I doing too much? But then I realize it also all links together because what I do in my volunteering then inspires me in my studies and in my work and it sort of yeah also keeps me going so yeah I think oh there's so much we can all do and um, it's been so inspiring to speaking both of you, speaking to both of you and hearing more about um, community grassroots activism or community action in general for climate change uh, and building communities to have conversations about this uh, yeah I think that's such mm -hmm. important work so thank you so much for you do um, and for speaking to me today so I'm not sure if I mentioned the, um, our website because I keep talking about it but I don't think I actually mentioned the web address it's tapewoodgarden.org so if you go there you'll be able to find everything you want to know about us and how to get involved if you live if you live <laughs> in, in Tapewood why not definitely yes do check out the Taypod um, website the ways you can get involved especially if you're local in the area um, or the podcast because there you can listen to it from mm -hmm. everywhere and via anchor it's available on all of the podcast platforms like spotify or apple Podcasts, or all of those and that's plant voices so yeah thank you for for reminding us of the address for that yes thank you so that brings well, thank us you so much. Thank you for having us. It was mm. an absolute pleasure Great. being yep. at length about our projects and experiences. Dear listener, thank you for tuning in to this episode. Also, a special thank you again to Kashka and Kathleen for joining me. And if you'd like to listen to the Plant Voices episode where they interview me, please do check out the link in the description. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to click follow on the Eco Activist Journeys podcast so that you don't miss out on exciting future episodes. Furthermore, you can also follow Eco Activist Journeys on Instagram and Facebook. Finally, wherever you are, and especially if you're listening to this in the time of Christmas 2020, I hope you will have a restful and blessed festive season. Love, Leah.